You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin. Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. U.S. cases rise 1.8% and California hospital use is up. What that means for the economy and, of course, what it means for students heading back to the classroom. Former Vice President Joe Biden touting union jobs and a $2 trillion plan to build clean energy. We've got the latest on that front as President Trump officials Uh, order hospitals to bypass the CDC on the virus. Josh Wingrove, our friend, our Bloomberg White House reporter, is going to check in. Doug High, Doug High, who I hear through the grapevine, is very in with uh, Governor uh, Hogan World. He's going to check in with us. Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist uh, as well. And we will also uh, hear potentially from the President of the United States uh, later this hour. I will bring you those remarks from President Trump Uh, directly as it happens. He's facing a midnight deadline to sign legislation that would penalize banks doing business with Chinese officials involved in the national security law that the country is seeking to impose on Hong Kong. So the Hong Kong issue, the president could make an announcement about that this hour. I'll take you to the Rose Garden if that happens. So jam-packed, buckle up. We've got a lot to talk about. We begin with Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter. Uh, This as we anticipate that President Trump, according to a senior source involved in the discussions, telling me just moments ago that the president is expected to sign into law, Josh, the Hong Kong sanctions bill that got out of the Senate and the House uh, within the last couple of weeks. This would sanction Chinese officials uh, who did business who do business rather uh, with Hong, who do business with the Chinese Communist Party that have enacted the so-called national security law with Hong Kong. What else do we know, Josh? Yeah, well, well that's about it. I mean, we, he's facing a deadline to sign that one. Of course, if he's signing it and giving it the pomp and circumstance of a Rose Garden press conference, we could expect that there's a possibility other measures will be included. The administration has been telegraphing that they're going to crack down on China. They made moves uh, last week to this effect, in in particular the sanctioning of several officials, including a high-ranking Chinese Communist Party Politburo member. 
uh, that, that sort of raised the temperature. That was the highest uh, highest ranking official of the U.S. that had ever sanctioned China. Of course, has responded with some sanctions of its own. So we'll see where it goes. But the president right now, you know, has been sort of steadily building his criticism of China. This is, of course, related to the virus. He believes China was not forthcoming enough and, of course, is feeling domestic pressure at home in terms of slumping poll numbers about his own handling of the virus once it reached America's shores. So it looks like uh, it looks like he will do something China-related. The scope of that, we don't know. We also don't know if he will take questions. He normally, of course, uh, can't can help himself but take questions. But uh, the, uh, as of late, he is not always hang, hung around after making these kind of statements to take questions from the press instead sort of uh, leaving and then letting uh, other officials, such as cabinet figures, take them for him. Josh Wingrove's on the line. He's Bloomberg White House reporter. Josh, what I find so interesting right now is that according to the conversations that I'm having with some sources close uh, to the White House, and I'm, I'm curious for, for your reporting on this as well, is he being advised to continue to talk more about his handling of the pandemic? Because that seems to be almost the switch in strategy. We saw him photograph with the mask on the other day. We've seen him uh, adopt uh, more of a, I don't know, I mean, in the past couple of days, more of a somber tone. What are you gathering? Is this going to be a bombastic President Trump, or will it be the more somber President Trump? Uh, it's a it's a good question, but they are changing their tone. Now, I think it's unclear, though, whether it's just the people around him doing that and sort of, you know, creating a gravitational pull for him to do the same, or, or if they're like, more explicitly setting the table. You know, this morning we had Brett Giroir, who's the testing star for uh, the Trump administration, sort of, uh, you know, say, go on TV and say, listen, everyone's got to wear a mask, got to shut bars down in California, Arizona, Florida, and Texas, those states with particularly sharp outbreaks. He said they expect death to rise. He said that the CDC isn't lying to people. On all counts, he's rebutting comments from the president, either explicitly or implicitly from, you know, the past few days. Uh, Dr. Fauci, of course, has been a target of the, uh, of the administration, uh, Dan Scavino criticizing him. In particular, uh, you know, he's speaking uh, right now. Uh, Dr. Redfield, the head of the CDC, uh, talked about the need to, for universal mask wearing today. So there is sort of this, you know, push coming from health officials that, frankly, have been shoved to the back seat by the White House. Remember, they were ubiquitous there for quite a while. Uh, and then those task briefings, task force briefings dried up at the end of April and uh, sort of happened a few times sporadically, not at the White House since then. So, uh, in other words, people around Trump are being louder about what they need to do to get this pandemic more under control. The president himself has taken some steps. You mentioned the mask. That was a big one, but has also continued to sort of uh, send mixed messages, I guess, would be a somewhat constructive way to put it on what, on you, what Americans right. should be doing. Yeah, it, it really is quite remarkable. And again, if you're just joining us, we're waiting for comment from President Trump from the White House, unknown whether or not he's going to take questions for for the press conference but he's going to be talking about china we will bring you the president's remarks as they happen and josh wingrove is on the line he's bloomberg's white house reporter josh uh talk to me about it, it, sort of the you know coming up with the panel we're going to talk about um former vice president joe biden's second part of his economic plan it's a two trillion dollar plan for uh a, it's i don't they would his campaign would you know, not be happy if I said Green New Deal, but his version of the Green New Deal, so to speak. Uh, what is the White House saying about it? Uh, well, the, the White House is kind of 
I should say the campaign has fired back in particular. They, they sort of call his energy plan a socialist manifesto, and they've really been dunking on it. You know, they, I think they see a political uh, angle here. You know, think about coal mining jobs in Pennsylvania or uh, oil jobs in Texas, uh, which may or may not uh, be more in play than normal. So I, I, I absolutely expect them to hit it, uh, hit him there. And I think, frankly, they've been waiting for uh, Biden to sort of come out a little bit, start rolling out policy, get out of the basement so that they can start hitting him over it. Because, of course, the last little while has not gone very well for the Trump campaign. And they, you know, they, they, they believe that that contrast is where their sort of uh, path lies. In other words, President Trump against Joe Biden uh, is an election campaign that they're far more keen to run on than a campaign of President Trump, yay or nay, you know, uh, sort of a referendum on how he's doing. So I, I absolutely think that every time Biden rolls out something like this, they're going to hammer on it. And uh, probably we can expect the president to talk about it tonight. It's been quite interesting, folks. And, and for those of you who know, we've been talking about Joe Biden's economic plans as they've come out. We've interviewed former Commerce Secretary uh, for the Obama administration, Penny Pritzker, who was really instrumental in drafting some of the language for the first part of the rollout that happened last week. But I find it fascinating if you're if you're looking at this, if you're observing this from back home on the Wall Street, on the banking, on the financial regulatory front, the Biden campaign has adopted a more or is putting out a more centrist face to their economics. But where they've turned progressive, and where they're banking. The polls will help them, progressively speaking, uh, is on energy. And that's why the former vice president's campaign adopted the likes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to join a very public, a very public type of uh, uh, committee, so to speak, to advise him on on, uh, the environment. But uh, to Josh's point, I mean, the the Biden campaign, fully aware of the polls uh, in, in terms of looking uh, at how President Trump still leads Joe Biden on on the economy, and that's why last week you saw a much more nuanced rollout with regards to uh, uh, workforce development and and Wall Street and Main Street versus what you're seeing this week, which is a more progressive rollout for energy. All right, I got one more question for my buddy Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter, and that is. From a broader China standpoint, this is just one of the steps in the direction of where U.S.-China policy is going. Is it not, Josh? Do you expect there to be more types of policy coming from China on the, or I'm sorry, from the, from the White House regarding China over the next couple of months? Yes, absolutely. I think this is a political winner. Even before the pandemic, cracking down on China was a political winner, a bipartisan winner. And I, I'm frankly a little surprised that we haven't heard the president go after this more. And I think the reason, of course, that that is, is that he really likes his phase one trade deal. Remember, they signed that at the White House to great fanfare at the beginning of the year and sort of what feels like a different world, I guess, was a different world at the time. The, the Chinese purchases of agriculture really aren't rolling Josh, I don't even remember that, that world. I don't even remember I know, that world, buddy. I, know. Bananas, I don't even know bananas. what month we're in. You could tell me it's March, and I'd be like, yeah, it's March. It's really warm for March. Anyway, Josh, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. The, the, no, I hear you. I hear you. The, the, the finger in the dam with regards to the president and China has been that trade deal. And the one thing that I continue to watch for is that sign that with a minute that he is no longer satisfied with that deal. The minute that China's lagging purchases of U.S. farm products get under his skin, then I think that will change the calculus because that has been what is holding him back in some ways from really ratcheting up 
the pressure with China. But until now, he's really stood by. In fact, including yesterday, our colleague Mario Parker asked him flat out, what about that phase one deal? And he said, look, they're still buying. As long as they're still buying, I'm good. So, you know, for now, uh, that deal is where he wants it to be. And if that stays, I think we'll see him uh, sort of take that somewhat measured approach to China. But if if he thinks that China has backed out of that deal, of course, the virus is affecting what, what kind of agriculture they can and would want to buy. Uh, then I think the sort of it, it's sort of the gloves might come off more, and he wouldn't have as much reason to tiptoe around the China issue. It's fascinating. All right, Josh Wingrove, great job, great reporting. You, Mario, Jen, the whole team at the White House, just really doing working around the clock. Everybody, Justin, everyone, of course. You know, and I know I'm forgetting people, and it's inadvertent, but. You know, I know you guys are, are really working around the clock and, and working really hard. Uh, led, of course, by Alex Wayne. All right, that's uh, Josh Wingrove. He is Bloomberg's White House reporter. If I forgot someone, don't get mad at me. I really didn't mean to. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I want to reset now if you're just joining us because I'm going to bring in Doug High, Senior Vice President of Media at Kraft Media and Digital. He's the former Deputy Chief of Staff to former House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. And Kristen Hahn, Democratic Strategist, Senior Advisor at Rock Solutions and former Blue Dog Coalition Communications Director. Uh, and we are awaiting folks, President Trump at the White House. Uh, I'm hearing from sources that he is likely going to sign into law a piece of legislation that passed with bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate that would sanction Chinese officials who have done business with the Communist Party that have advanced the so-called national security me- measures against Hong Kong. All right, so let's let's start with Kristen Hahn, who knows a thing or two about coalition buildings because of her work previously <laughs> as the Blue Dog Coalition Comms Director. Kristen, this is a bipartisan Hello. issue. This is I never thought I'd see it. <laughs> Kristen, can you hear me, or, or do we have a bad connection? No, I can hear you now. Sorry about that. It's okay. So what? So this is a, this is an area where Republicans and Democrats agree, right? In terms of trying to be a little bit more tough on China. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think you know you've seen. I mean, talk about the Blue Dog Coalition, the group I used to work for, actually um, uh, have introduced legislation, put out a letter talking about really looking into how China um, mismanaged uh, and not just mismanaged. Um, the 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 COVID nineteen situation, particularly hoarding supplies. So yeah, I think that um, on both sides of the aisle. That said, I think that um, the Democrats are also uh, not, and the moderate Democrats are not letting the president his mismanagement of um, the the pandemic off the hook. I think in a lot of ways this is a talking point, um, and I'd be interested to hear what uh, Doug has to say. But it's a talking point that I'm hearing in a lot of. You know, of our, our, our races across the country, the Republicans trying to use China just as um, the culprit. But I think the president um, should be held liable for his we, his mismanagement of the pandemic, pandemic as well. We got the two minute warning from the White House. So, Doug, come in here and give us your take. And if I cut you off, it's because I'm, I'm cutting to the White House. You didn't cut me off. The president cut me off, Thank which is you. fine. So, look, clearly, the takeaway from this press conference is not going to be about anything with China. Uh, we have one hundred and. 36,000 Americans who have died. We have an economy that's in a very vulnerable place, so things could get a lot worse. And people want to know what's going to happen next. What's going to happen with reopening schools, where the president's been really forceful but not really provided a lot of answers. By the way, that includes child care, which we don't really talk about. How are we going to get children back in child care, all of which means 
when will it be safe for parents and when will parents be able to get back to work so that everybody's healthy and we can get the economy started again? You know, I Everything think it, revolves around that now. I think it's such a great point. And I also think the education issue, should President Trump take uh, should President Trump take questions, I think education is going to be one of the main things that, that he's going to be asked about as well, because so many people want to know. But it is an incredibly localized issue. What what should what should families across the country be looking for coming from pres- from the president, the executive office, Kristen, as it relates to school? I think that, you know, just clear guidance that is that is based on the science. I mean, my family's in Texas and I hear a lot of my friends um, I'm back at home that are very concerned about their kids going back to school. So I think I think with everything, not just with childcare, but with just our society in general, we all want to get back to normal. But making sure that we're listening to our experts and heeding their advice and basing all of our actions off of that, I don't think we'll ever get back to normal if we don't do that. What do you think President Trump should say? And not not in terms of policies, but what does he need to do from an organizational perspective, Doug, uh, to to address American families as it relates to schools? Well, I think it starts with wearing a mask, and it starts with listening to experts, as, as um, Kristen mentioned. If you do that, you're then demonstrating that you're doing the right thing so that the country can get, if not back to normal, at least at a place where we can think about being normal again. That ultimately is, is the question for Trump. It's not about you know, how he, what the organizational structure is. Stop fighting um, with the top infectious doctor um, in, in the country. Wear a mask. Send those signs that will have enormous influence. Uh, throughout the country so that we can stem the tide of this and get people back in school, back in child care, and ultimately back to work. Kristen, what else do you, what else, what else are you going to be looking for? Because I mean, you know, Democrats, as you know, have been critical, very critical of how President Trump uh, has handled, uh, they would say mishandled uh, COVID-19. What, what though, I mean, is there anything that he can say to turn this around uh, or, or is it just campaign season and, and Biden world will attack? I mean, I, I think at this point, honestly, and this is me as a human, not as a Democratic operative, I just would like to see him, um, you know, start bringing people together, start listening, rather than retweeting things about the CDC and saying that our scientists aren't here. I really would just like to see the leader of the country, you know, being a leader and showing the governors what they need to do and and, and listening to our experts. It's just kind of getting exhausting otherwise. It's having impacts on our, our economy as well. So. I'm exhausted, and I would just like for him to lead by example, like wear a mask um, and listen to our experts, I think. While we wait for President Trump, if you're just joining us, we are awaiting President Trump to uh, deliver a press conference. You can catch it right here. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Uh, and we've received the two-minute warning a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> um, Doug, I was in Annapolis yesterday talking to Governor Larry Hogan. 
Talk to me about the contrast that we've seen between the, the way that Governor Hogan has tried to execute uh, the, the recovery in Maryland versus President Trump's uh, what he's been doing um, and the strategy that he's taken. Don't tell me which one's right or wrong, but tell me, you know, the, the, the study in contrasts. Well, the, the contrast is one of, of uh, noise. You know, Donald Trump makes a lot of noise every day, doesn't necessarily inform people. What's impressed me so much about uh, Larry Hogan is he's focused on just getting the job done. He, he's everywhere. He's doing interviews with Bloomberg, as he did yesterday. He's doing radio interviews. He's doing TV interviews everywhere he can. But it's to inform the public on what they're doing, on what needs to be done, so that Maryland can get back to the place that it needs to be. What he's doing, which is really strange in American politics these days, he's focusing on being competent. And that's why Maryland is a much better place uh, than a lot of states right now. All right. Well, let's. OK, first of all, thanks for taking the steam out of my exclusive yesterday, Doug. Appreciate it. No, not the person, <laughs> not the personal. You know, it's hard out here to make it in this business for a kid from Delco. Let me tell you this, though. What's compare compare his reaction or his response, Governor Hogan's response to that of uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York? Well, look, Cuomo has a much bigger microphone. If you're the governor of New York or the mayor of New York, you're going to be on TV nationally. Uh, whenever you want to, pretty much. And we've seen that not just with Cuomo, but the previous governors and mayors. Um, it, it's harder for the governor of Maryland to do so. But what he's done is put forth a plan on how how Maryland is going to stem the tide. And he also has to work regionally with the District of Columbia, with uh, the state of Virginia. And I would say Governor Northam has done a fairly good job as well. Mayor Bowser's done a good job. The The region here um, is much better than the national average. And I think it's because he's working in a cooperative fashion. That's the difference that we see from this administration. Um, but also, again, just putting his head down and getting the job done, not worrying about who gets the credit or even who gets the blame, because ultimately if we get past that, all of that, if we get past COVID, all of that takes care of itself. All right, let's reset here as we away from President Trump. Uh, I just want to get to this red headline that crossed uh, just at the top of the hour on the Bloomberg terminal. Moderna vaccine produced antibodies in all patients that were tested. All right, let's give some optimism, folks. Come on. You heard this on Bloomberg 99.1. Ready? Moderna Inc.'s COVID-19 vaccine produced antibodies to the coronavirus in all patients tested in an initial safety trial, federal researchers said. I'm reading from my colleague, Robert Langreth's reporting on the Bloomberg terminal. The, neutralize, the neutralizing antibody levels produced were equivalent to the upper half of what's seen in patients who get infected with the virus and recover, according to the results published Tuesday in the New England Journal of Medicine. The Moderna vaccine is one of the farthest along for COVID-19. All right, so some, some positive developments uh, on the uh, on the vaccination front. And remember, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci has said that he still thinks that the uh, vaccine could be in the it could be in development by the end of the year. So they're on pace. Again, a red headline uh, crossing the Bloomberg terminal just 24 minutes ago that Moderna vaccine has produced antibodies in all of the patients that have been tested. So, you know, it's going to get interesting. And I look at this, Kristen, the re okay, because it's this is the part of my job that I struggle with, right? Because from a, a human perspective, let's get a vaccine. Let's make sure that everyone has access to the vaccine. Okay, now let's look at it. Let's put on the political analysis cap just for a second, Kristen. And let me ask you this. Economists are saying that there is 
uh, a stepped-up recovery, that the recovery could begin in earnest at the end of the third quarter or the beginning of the fourth, i.e. around the election. And now you've got these news and these headlines that are about to come out with regards to a vaccine. There are two unknowns, timing of the vaccine, timing of the recovery. This election is far from over, is it not? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think anybody who's ever worked in politics knows it's a it's a lifetime between now and November. Um, so, yes, I would just say one thing about the vaccine. And I know that the, the pharmaceutical companies tend to be punching bags a lot. But I mean, I, what the private sector in general, but particularly the, the pharmaceutical industry has stepped up and done um, with regard to COVID-19 is pretty remarkable. I and mean, you look at companies like Moderna and then you look at, you know, AstraZeneca partnering with Oxford. They really have stepped up. Um, and it's really encouraging to see what our private sector is, has done. But, yeah, it is, it's a lifetime between now and November. Um, I think all politics is local people. Still, though, health care is always a major issue for, for um, voters. It's obviously more so now. Um, so I think as long as, you know, Biden and then all the way down to the state and local candidates are talking about, um, you know, what people want to hear, what we're doing now, how um, we're going to address getting back to normal, uh, whatever that looks like, um, is what people want to hear. And they want people with a clear vision of how to do that in the immediate term. Wow. And here's another red headline that our executive producer, Christine Barada, just alerted to me and brought to my attention. Justice Ginsburg has been hospitalized with possible infection. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, just Justice Ginsburg has been hospitalized with possible infection. Christine, if you're, if you're listening, do you know what the infection is? If you tell me in the chat, I can bring it. Yeah, as, she's saying as of now, we don't know what type of infection, so I want to be crystal clear here uh, that we don't know what the cause is, but Justice Ginsburg has been hospitalized. This is another issue, Doug, that the president has tried to utilize over the past couple of weeks, making the Supreme Court an issue that would mobilize uh, some, of his, some of his base. Yeah, absolutely. If you go back to 2016, probably no issue mobilized conservatives, certainly conservative Christian evangelical voters for Trump, more than the issue of judges, both federal judges and Supreme Court judges. What we don't know is, is that enthusiasm lessened now, one, because we've almost completely filled the slate of um, uh, federal judges. We've gotten two Supreme Court justices in um, on the Republican side. And so, are conservatives, are they stated with this, especially given that there's, well, and, and the side current of this being there's some disappointment in recent rulings um, where Neil Gorsuch and, and Judge Roberts um, voted basically with the liberal side of the court. And the other question is, has the Brett Kavanaugh nomination really fired up Democrats in a way that's sustained? Certainly, if, if the presidential election were a week after the Kavanaugh hearing, Democrats would be very mobilized and energized on the issue of uh, judges, we don't know if, if they're going to be able to, to sustain that um, this far out. But this is if, if anything happens with Justice Ginsburg, and this issue comes up from time to time, as she's had a few hospitalizations, it always becomes an inflection point. You've been listening to President Trump addressing reporters in uh, at the White House. He, of course, announced that he will, in fact, or he has already, in fact, signed that bipartisan piece of legislation that allows for. Uh, the U.S. to sanction any Chinese officials who have been supportive of the Communist Party of China's so-called national security laws. Meanwhile, the president then went on to draw a contrast for his 
his handling of COVID-19 pandemic versus the Obama administration's handling of H1N1. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio. I want to bring in our expert guest, Stephen Kyle. He is an associate professor in the Charles H. Dyson School of Applied Economics and Management at Cornell University. Professor Kyle, thank you for joining us. What precisely does this bill allow for the United States to do in terms of sanctioning officials who have been supportive of the Communist Party for their so-called national security policies with Hong Kong? Well, it allows us to deny them uh, travel to the U.S., and we also can put pressure on our allies to deny them uh, the ability to go there as well. One thing to remember about any of this, though, is anything we do uh, to uh, uh, hurt the Chinese, they will retaliate. So this won't be the end of the story. I, I hear you on that point. So what can we, from, an, uh, from a financial perspective, anticipate that Xi Jinping will respond to President Trump with? Well, that, that is more difficult to say, because the, the root of the problems he was talking about today are basically political. It's China's takeover of Hong Kong and China's treatment of minorities like the Uyghurs. So those aren't directly in and of themselves economic uh, issues, except that Hong Kong, of course, uh, used to have trade preferences with us, and now they won't because, uh, uh, according to the administration, they are being absorbed into the overall Chinese economy, and so there's no reason to treat them separately. Uh, uh, That may well be the case. Uh, It may well be that the Chinese government decided that this was the moment they had the best chance of having their way in Hong Kong, and that's why they're pushing, pushing now to do what they're doing. Professor Kyle, you know this better than anyone, and you're and you're one of the most well-respected uh, ad, uh, experts in in this field, particularly in the academia world. What pressure, in in simple terms, does Xi Jinping face domestically in China from the business community in China? There was uh, reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, and in fact, I just pulled it up the chart on my Bloomberg Terminal that suggests that today. The selling of China stocks by overseas investors hit an all-time high. Wow, they're cashing out in terms of uh, overseas investments in China. Uh, and, and there's also this thought process in the economic world, as I'm sure you know, that the U.S. has been trying, not just the, the Trump administration, but the United States has been trying to uh, really maybe take a play uh, out of the playbook that they've done for Tehran, which is to really beg for U.S. investors to ask themselves, is Beijing, is the Communist Party of China, are, is this really a safe haven to invest in? And the riskier that that gets over the long term, will that only increase the pressure on Xi Jinping amongst the elite in China? Well, two comments there. First, Trump did say, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that phase two of a China trade deal is not going to happen. So if I were to say, well, what's the the subtext of this move in the market, you know, people dumping Chinese stocks, I'd say it's a vote against increased international trade in the future. Um, Globalization seems to have ground to a halt and is in danger of going backwards. Uh, As far as the China-Iran comparison, China is not Iran. China is a 
quarter of the people on the planet. And while we could actually sink the Iranian economy and not suffer drastically ourselves, we can't do that to China. They are too big and too important in the globe for their failure not to have secondary effects on the rest of us. So I hear you on that. To promote that. I hear you on that, and I'm paraphrasing Eli Lake's reporting on Bloomberg Opinion. But so let me follow up with a better crafter question. I hear you. I hear that point, right? But Professor Kyle. China also can't afford to, to, to kind of stick it to us as much because we're still number one. Yes, I get it. They're number two. But, you know, we're still number one and they still have to, you know, deal with the United States economy and sure. the U.S. ends the U.S. consumer. And let us not forget that that populism streak of made in America exists not just on the right in Trump's space, but also on the progressive left. Right. You're, you're absolutely right. There is a deal to be made here because we both need each other. They need us to be the purchasers of the things they're making, and we get a lot of stuff, not to mention a lot of it, you know, coronavirus-type supplies from them, and, and it's not just that. So we could grasp each other in a downward death spiral of eliminating trade. It wouldn't be good. No, for I'm an optimist. Professor run. Kyle, I'm an optimist. Let's <laughs> le- come on, we got like two minutes left, and you're talking about a downward death spiral. Of things ah, getting no, made. I'm saying we could do that, but let's reject that, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but what I would hope happens out of this is there are legitimate problems with maltreating a million Uyghurs, of taking over Hong Kong. Those are not small issues, and they deserve a, a, a response from us. And, and this is what we're getting. It might not have been what I would have chosen, but that there had to be a response seems pretty clear. All right, Professor Kyle, I very much appreciate you coming on and talking about this. Please, please, please come back on and join our panel because you are absolutely brilliant in terms of how you break this down. And I I didn't have enough time to ask you about India-China relations, and that was something I wanted to get to. Stephen Kyle, Associate Professor in the Charles H. Dyson School of Applied Economics and Management at Cornell University. And you know what, Professor? I think you're an optimist. Even though you're talking about downward death spirals, I'm going to say that I still think you're an optimist, and I'll pull that out of you. Yes. There's money on the table, and we could just figure out how to divide it up. We'd all be better off. Ah, there you go. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Thanks for listening. Check in with me tomorrow. We've got more policy, politics, and personality. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.